What's up, folks? Welcome to the East Village Times podcast. This is episode number 135 with special guest Kyle Glazer of Baseball America. Mr. Dominic Stern is here with me as usual. What's going on, Dominic? How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm actually here downtown in Phoenix at the Cronkite School today for the recording. I have class in person today, so I'm excited to get out of the apartment for a change, explore the world that... I can't always do now, given the current state of this country. So I'm in a very good mood this morning. I did have an 8 a.m. class, which, of course, is not fun. But (laughs) I look forward to our conversation we're going to have with Kyle. And it's going to be a good day. Super Bowl weekend. Yeah, so it's always good to to get out and, and uh, explore the town, if you will, and, and get a little bit of sense of normalcy uh, with what we're going through right now, for sure. Uh, a little bit of Padre news before we start with Kyle. Uh, as A.J. Preller has been signed through the 2026 season and Eric Rupner uh, was named the CEO of, of the Padres. Is that, is that right, CEO? Uh, fantastic news for Padre fans. Uh you know, although AJ Preller was not on a hot seat in any way, shape, or form, uh, it's nice to know that he is the head of baseball operations and he will be in town for the next five years at least. Uh, Dominic, your thoughts on the extension of Preller and uh, the promotion for him and Grubner? They both deserved it, and they, they've done a good job of putting the Padres financially in a situation to where they could go out and spend money on big guys international prospects, spend money on Eric Hosmer, Manny Machado, take on bigger contracts so that the Padres could get better. So you got to give a lot of credit to Mr. Gruppner for doing that and AJ Preller for making the right moves to be able to save money and put themselves in positions to win now as opposed to the previous years where team one isn't always good, but Gruppner doing promotions and stuff for the Padres to keep the cash and flow coming to set themselves up for this season and for the seasons in the future. So they both definitely deserve this. I have never met Preller before. I have met Mr. Grubner before. Very nice guy. Uh, him and our family have, we know each other. So that, that was, that was cool to see that he's locked up for the Padres and certainly deserving. So, and hopefully they can be a part of the Padres for a long time going forward and hopefully a new dynasty in baseball. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, we keep saying this, but it's a great time to be a Padre fan. It really is. There's no, there's been no other time like there has been in the 50 plus years existence of this franchise. There's a competitive team now. There's a future with this team. The farm system is stocked. They're top five, ten in payroll. I mean, it's it's just amazing the transition that this ownership group has made. And, and kudos go out to Eric Gruppner and, and AJ Preller for their efforts and. and flipping this franchise around and, and, and turning around this cruise ship it, 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 that I've used the analogy before. It takes a while to do that. You can't just turn a cruise ship around on, on a dime. It takes a little bit of effort and the Padres are headed in the right direction. And, and what else can you ask for as a Padre fan as, as a San Diegan? No, you can't ask for anything more. And this move just assures the consistency that we'll be going through this, uh, this organization, because that's something the Padres hadn't really had in a long time, especially in my tenure as a long as a young Padres fan. So certainly a good thing to see. Look forward to watching this team on a daily basis and look forward to watching the team that Preller puts out and the events that Gruppner puts on to help bring in more money so the Padres can continue to stay good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's just a fantastic time to be a Padre fan. Uh, let's bring in another uh, local uh, local guy, San Diegan. Uh, I don't want to say a Padre fan because he's a uh, national journalist. He doesn't have uh, favoritism, if you will, or doesn't use favoritism at will, but he does have a rooting interest in San Diego Padres, being that he is born and raised in North County, and that's Mr. Kyle Glazier. We'll be right back uh, with him. <laughs> Welcome back, folks, to episode number 135 of the East Village Times podcast. Uh, pleased to be joined by Mr. Kyle Glazier of uh, Baseball America, 
ASU alum uh, like young Dominic is is currently uh, going to. What's going on, Kyle? How are you doing, man? It's been a been a long time. We've we've uh, had the opportunity to chat. Yeah, it's certainly been a heck of a year, but like everyone else, just making it through. We at Baseball America were able to put out we thought a pretty good magazine, all things considered, throughout the last year. Just given there was no minor league baseball happening, but. With Major League Baseball, there were still a lot of storylines, a lot of interesting angles to kind of look at and dive into and get in the weeds. Uh, obviously, an unprecedented draft only being five rounds, but there were a lot of storylines to come out of that as well. And then this offseason, there's been a lot going on. Obviously, teams are dealing with the losses of revenue that come from having fans in the stands, tickets, concessions, parking, and we're seeing a lot of teams try to shave payroll just to kind of pare down expenses a little bit to offset some of those revenue losses. But other teams like the Padres are taking advantage of the fact there's fewer teams trying to actually compete. And in some cases, getting some bargains, teams are extra desperate to save some money right now. And if you're a team that's willing to take on a little bit of money, or in some cases, a lot of money, you are able to acquire some really standout players without giving up a whole lot. I mean, just frankly, giving up less than it would have cost you in past years. And for opportunistic teams like the Padres have been, it's a great time to strike. Yeah, de- definitely. You mentioned uh, the, the just difficult season that or difficult year that all of us have gone through. How impossible was it for you guys to form your prospect list, you know, with no information really given on the 2020 season, uh, other than, you know, little snippets here and there. How, how difficult was it for you guys to, to create these lists? It's very difficult because you had a lot of prospects at alternate training sites. And there's certainly things you can glean from those certain guys, if they're throwing harder, if breaking balls are looking a little sharper, if certain hitters, they've made some changes or they They've shown up, you know, with 10 more pounds of muscle and are impacting the ball more consistently. Those are things you can note, but there's a lot that happened at the alternate training sites. You really have to take with a grain of salt because they're facing the same pitchers over and over and over again, every single day. And it's not real game situations. A lot of these alternate training site rosters had 17 pitchers and two outfielders. I mean, you had the hitting coordinator playing first base and, you know, just coaches and, and, player development officials filling in at right field. I mean, it just was not <laughs> yeah, like a goat playing third base. And then it was <laughs> it's just something where it wasn't real game situations. Yeah. So on the one hand, you want to take note about certain players, what strides they might've taken in their development. And you don't want to completely discount that, especially in the cases of, okay, there's a guy who really hasn't played above, let's say low A yet. And he's facing some arms with some triple A major experience and he's holding his own against them. That is notable case of a guy like CJ Abrams. And you do want to pay attention to that, but on the whole, it's nowhere near the same level of competition as you would see over the course of a full five month minor league season, dealing with traveling on the road, seeing different pitchers every night, dealing with injuries. It's just an entirely different environment. And then instructional league, It was in some cases, one month, one and a half months. And for other teams, it was 10, 15, 20 games. Some teams didn't even participate in instructional league. So again, you don't want to completely discount it or ignore the information coming out of there. Again, some players genuinely got better. We're talking about boys, men, you know, in the 18, 19, 20 year old range when there's a lot of physical development happening. So we're able to get that kind of information what has changed about this player? How has he grown? How has how have his skills developed? Is he throwing harder? Are the breaking pitches better? You get that information. You certainly are able to take that into account and use that to help craft a list. Okay, this guy is moving up. This guy is moving down. But there's no question. It's nowhere near the same level of information we would typically use or have because over the course of a full minor league season, we're talking to minor league managers, we're talking to farm directors, we're talking to opposing scouts who are seeing these guys for five months when this year opposing scouts weren't allowed in person at the alternate training sites and instructional league. Again, it was a couple of quick looks. It wasn't anywhere near the same sample. So it was very, very difficult. At the same time, I know for me, I did feel like 
it just kind of comes with the territory of being a good reporter. You find sources, you understand which sources will give you some propaganda, which sources will be a little more real with you and really kind of sifting through the information and, and finding out what's real and what's not. So it was very difficult. There is no question about it, but I will say when it came time to put the Padres list together, the Dodgers list together, the Cubs list together, those are the three top 30s I was responsible for this year. I did feel like I had a good grasp of how guys had progressed. And we have a lot of track record with a lot of these guys. So it helps, but there's no question. I don't want to sit here and pretend that the list we put together this year is going to be the strongest list we ever put together just because there's a lack of information. I think if there's a year where people are going to look back and say, man, they got that one really wrong. 2020 is the year it's probably going to happen. We did the best we could with what we had, but there are limits to it. That process seems really fascinating. And you talking about sources is something that I'm hearing a lot here at Arizona state university and talking about getting sources. So it's certainly cool to see you discussing that in person. That's something that a lot of our Padres fans just aren't going to understand, but I appreciate that insight. And when baseball America released their top 100, the Padres had seven prospects in it, which was the most of any major league team. One of those guys was Ha Sung Kim, Korean shortstop who comes over. How do you guys view Ha Sung Kim? Do you think he's going to compete for that spot at second base? And do you think he can handle a role in the outfield if that's where he has to play some in 2021? He's certainly going to compete for reps at second base, whether that's full everyday type of role, whether that's more of an even split between him and Jake Cronenworth. We'll see. They're going to go out there. They're going to compete. They're going to see who wins the job. In terms of playing the outfield, he hasn't done it. Truthfully, he hasn't actually played that much second base. In Korea, he was primarily a shortstop. Third base was more of his secondary position. Uh, second base, if I remember correctly, he's only played six games there, and that was back in 2014. So again, I think a lot of people assume, oh, it's easy to slide him from short to second, but it's pretty different. It's different footwork, it's different angles, and there's a big difference too, playing left side of the infield versus the right side of the infield, just anticipating swing, seeing how the ball comes off the bat. It's not as easy as I think a lot of people think it is. So there's going to need to be some time and some reps and some development there. And then in terms of playing the outfield, he has said he's open to it and he's going to give it a shot. He's a good athlete. That's one of the things that's been consistent in scouting reports on him since May, when I first started making calls on him as part of just kind of coverage of the KBO, obviously at no point did we realize he was going to end up being a Padre. This was strictly in the context of, Hey, this guy might come over at the end of the year and he's really good. Here's what he can do. The athleticism is there. The speed is there. But again, it takes a lot of reps. Uh, it's not just a matter of having the raw athleticism and the raw speed. So it's possible. We just have to kind of go out and see. I know everyone wants answers right now. Is he our everyday second baseman? Can he play the outfield? And we just got to let these guys go out and play. It's a big adjustment for any player, but especially when you're coming over from the other side of the world, it's a different level of competition. There's cultural adjustments on top of just the talent level adjustments. But there's a lot of faith that this is a very, very talented player with a good head on his shoulders and that he will eventually figure it out and adjust. It's just a matter of how quickly he'll figure it out and adjust. The optimists will say, hey, he's super talented. It'll happen quick and he'll be a contributor right away. I have spoken to some other scouts in the Pacific Rim who say, you know what? We think there's a very real possibility that this first year is a struggle, but that by year two and three, he'll get there. So we just have to wait and see. Okay. okay. And James and I had the opportunity to talk to Jiho Yu, who's a reporter in the KBO and spent a lot of time watching Kim play in the KBO. And he said one of the few concerns he has about Kim is how he's going to be able to handle the higher velocity of pitches in the MLB. Do you think that's a concern for Kim? That is the main concern. So in the Korean baseball organization, or excuse me, it's the Korea baseball organization. It's pretty rare to see guys consistently throwing above 90 miles an hour. There are a couple guys you'll come across, but for the most part, it's a lot of upper eighties scrape a 90. It's, you just don't see that velocity. Whereas in the major leagues, the average fastball right now is 92, 93. And once you start getting into bullpens, it's a lot more 95, 96. 
It's a huge adjustment. And that is the question with Ha Sung Kim. In speaking with evaluators employed by MLB clubs, who the Pacific Rim is their territory, I would say there is a reasonable amount of optimism that he will be able to make the adjustment. When you look at his swing, when you look at just the athleticism and the twitch, you look at his natural bat-to-ball skills, but it might take some time. And that's where, above all else, you hear some of the, okay, it might take a year. The first year might be ugly because going from 88 to 93 in one year, on top of all the other adjustments we're talking about, it's a big leap. But there is some hope, and I would say more than some hope, there is a reasonable optimism that he will eventually be able to adjust and consistently hit major league velocity. But it is an unknown. Even the people who say, I believe he will do it, even they'll say, you, you never really know. And one thing I've talked a lot about is there isn't a great track record of position players from the KBO making the jump successfully to MLB. Now, there is one exception. That's Jung Ho Kong, who made the jump and became a real standout hitter for the Pittsburgh Pirates off the field concerns ended his run in major league baseball. But a lot of the other guys, Young Ho Park, Dae Ho Lee, Hans Tu Kim, it was a year, two years in the majors and they were back in Korea. And a lot of that was because they just couldn't quite hit major league pitching at the level that teams wanted or needed them to. So it's a small sample. The track record isn't great but enough people believe that he will make the adjustment. And that's why he was very hotly pursued. A lot of teams wanted him. The Padres won out, but by no means were they the only team on this guy. I was speaking with evaluators back in May who said, I have wanted this guy for my team since he was 19. And they were just waiting for him to be posted. So clearly there is a belief among the majority of major league teams, or at least a considerable amount of them, that he is capable of eventually adjusting and hitting that velocity, hitting that velocity. We just have to see him do it. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of uncertainty with him. That's, that's for sure. And like anything, we'll just have to wait and see. And hopefully he's able to adjust, like you mentioned to life in the States, which, you know, can't be undersold because it's, it's tough for these guys to come over and function in a, in a different country and, and perform at a game where you have to be relaxed. So we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, speaking of some flexibility with the Padres, let's talk about uh, Mr. C.J. Abrams. Uh, I heard you last week uh, on 973 talk about the fact that the Padres will probably want to keep him at shortstop to keep him comfortable. Uh, I, I love that that idea. I love that uh, that that from you. Give me your thoughts on Mr. Abrams and whether or not you think that he'll be able to make uh, the jump successfully uh, this coming season. Well, not not necessarily to the major leagues, but just keep the progression going, if you will. Everything C.J. Abrams showed at the alternate training site and instructional league was incredibly encouraging. Just a very, very uniquely gifted young hitter who is also an incredible athlete. Mm -hmm. As one evaluator I spoke to put it, and I had this sense as well, just from my years of covering minor league baseball, major league baseball, a lot of times with the youngest kids, you'll have a guy who's a great athlete, but his baseball skills just need to catch up a little bit. Or you'll have some guys who really good baseball skills, but the athleticism might not be elite. It's still plenty good, but not elite elite. He's one of the few that has the elite level hand-eye coordination and bat-to-ball skills and the elite level athleticism at his age. And that's a very, very potentially special ball player. Of all the players that, whether it's Padres officials or opposing evaluators say, I like him, you know, there's a concern about X or Y, but we just need to see him kind of grow out of it. There's not really any concerns about CJ Abrams, which is kind of remarkable for a guy who has barely played above the rookie levels. Yeah, he's, he seems like he has a, a great head on his shoulders, too. I was lucky enough to talk to him a little bit in the Futures game uh, a couple of years ago. Just this guy that kind of seems to get it, really self-motivated, and that, that, that goes a long way in this game, and you got to love that. Um, 
in noticing and compiling your list, uh, Abrams came out number 11. Gore was number 10 overall. Uh, was there any thought on flip-flopping them? I noticed that some some publications that have made their list have actually jumped Abrams over Gore. Uh, Gore had a little bit of a tough offseason, if you will, a little bit of rumors here and there. Give us your thoughts on that and, and how close they are uh, prospect-wise. They're very close. I mean, the fact that they're separated by one spot in the top 100 to tell you how close they are. I will say that in the course of my discussions with officials, both inside and outside the Potters organization, taking into account what they've done in their pro careers so far, their potential, it came out fairly clear that Gore was the pick. Now, there were individuals out there who felt that it should be Abrams, but they were a pretty distinct minority. As I mentioned on the podcast we did at BA, I had one person say Abrams, but that was compared to 10 for Gore. Now, some of those who picked Gore, it took them a minute. They really thought about it, but they ultimately came out Gore. Either way, we're talking about two potentially elite level talents. And the fact that Mackenzie Gore has gotten to double A, shown his stuff plays over a full minor league season against in a lot of cases, older competition, that does give him an edge. What Abrams did in the Arizona League was absolutely fantastic. But again, there's a very big jump from there to high A competition, double A competition. It's a longer season. So when you get your BA prospect handbooks, you'll see the grade we have on Mackenzie Gore and CJ Abrams, it's the same grade, but the risk is different just because Abrams hasn't had the opportunity to play at those levels yet. It's good to hear about Gore. And another guy that has a really interesting 2020 season would be Ryan Weathers because it was kind of the opposite of Mackenzie Gore because Ryan Weathers ended up making his debut despite being viewed by a lot of people as nowhere near the caliber of Gore coming into the season. He made it up, pitched, and ending in a third scoreless in the playoffs. How impressed were you by that performance from Weathers and did that impact his ranking in your top 100? Oh, incredibly impressed. I mean, for a kid who hasn't pitched above low A to go out and throw, you know, one to third scoreless against the Dodgers in the postseason, I mean, wow, that's all you can say about that. He has always been lauded for his poise. In fact, he's not phased by anything. I remember after he was drafted, he immediately, or very quickly, I should say, went out to a low class A Fort Wayne and just talking to some people out there. It's like, this kid's two months out of high school pitching full season ball and he looks totally fine and comfortable out there. Then he went out his first full season. He dealt with some arm fatigue. His conditioning was an issue. His stuff dropped. But even in summer camp, it was clear this was a different dude who had shown up. I wrote about it at the time in July. He came out throwing 95, 97 in short bursts. When I spoke to Potter's officials about what it looked like over longer stints of the alternate training site, it was, yeah, he's holding 92, 95 over four or five inning stints. And in those one and two inning bursts, it's 95, 97. And he's locating to both sides of the plate. The slider ticked up and got harder. There's, there's a lot of arrows pointing in the right direction for Ryan Weathers. And that was very, very apparent, not only in the fact that he looked great at the alternate site, but that the Padres called him up when they did. And he went out and performed like he did on the big stage that he did. And yeah, he was a fairly easy inclusion in the top 100, just based off where he is now, how the stuff is ticked up. Again, we still have to see, okay, can he really maintain... 92, 95, and then touch 97 in short bursts over a, a full five-month season when you're traveling and you're pitching six or seven innings every time through the rotation. Or in a perfect world, he would be. Sometimes we see teams uh, put the reins on the minor leaguers. So there's still some questions to be answered, but no more so than any other prospect right now. And he put himself ahead of a lot of guys. I mean, he moved up the Potters list. He moved into the top 100. He's clearly a guy on the rise. One more guy in the BA top 100 we want to talk about, Robert Hassel, Padres 2020 first-round draft pick. We know he impressed you guys enough so that he passed Hudson Head and the Padres were able to move on from him. How impressed were you with what you heard about Hassel and putting him into the top 100 so quickly? 
So he was the top prep hitter in the 2020 draft class. And that is already a very, very impressive place to start. He was the top hitter on the 18U national team. He's been a standout hitter since he was in the Little League World Series. He was on those Tennessee teams in 2013, 2014. Uh, got a big hit off Monet Davis. I mean, he was he was a stud back even at that age. So you have that long track record, got drafted where he did. He was pretty clearly a top 100 guy from the moment he was drafted. And we put him in the top 100 from the moment he was drafted. What really jumped out about Robert Hassel in terms of what he showed once he became a member of the Padres organization and got on the field is you saw him really start to adjust. So they brought him to the alternate training site where, again, he was super young, a lot of older guys there, and it took him a minute to kind of get his feet under him, but it just seemed like he kept adjusting, kept getting better, and by the end of camp was doing some good things, and then he went out to instructional league, and he was wowing people as a hitter, but mostly his center field defense. That was a question coming out of the draft. Can he really play center? Does he profile in a corner? And Realistically, if you can hit, they'll find a spot for you. But if you can stay in center, obviously there's a lot of extra value there. And the reviews on his defense in center were, I mean, shockingly good. I expected, you know, based off our draft reports to say, yeah, he's fine or he's good. It's like, no, he was getting raves out there. Wow both from a physical skills perspective and also just awareness of the game in terms of, you know, being on top of it, not letting guys take extra bases. A lot of the young mistakes you see a lot of young center fielders make, he doesn't make them. So that even more so made it a case of this is a really interesting player to watch because there's a lot of confidence he's going to hit. And now you're talking about potential plus hit plus defense in center field that's really, really, really promising. Awesome. Great to hear promising stuff on his defense because that was the concern or was the question mark, if you will. Not, not necessarily a concern, but a question mark. Um, let, me, let me get this right now. Uh, 20 prospects have been dealt by the Padres in the last year that are top 30 prospects on other teams' lists. How has AJ Preller been able to do this? Is he waving a magic wand to, to, to make these moves? And was the Padres system just that deep? The Potter system was just that deep. And that's a product of, look, they picked in the top 10 five years in a row. You know, I think it's important to note that, yes, they built this incredible system. But when you put some of the teams on the field that they did, carrying three rule five picks and playing a lot of guys who, frankly, were not major leaguers in order to amass those picks, you should have a really good farm system. Yeah. So when you pick in the top 10 five years in a row, and you spend $80 million internationally in one class. And then after that, also con continued to invest heavily in the international market. You should have a really deep farm system. And to the Padres' credit, they built that. There's a lot of teams who try and do that, but they miss on their draft picks or their scouting evaluations are not great. So I think the credit really goes to Mark Connor, the Padres' amateur scouting director and his staff, Chris Kemp the international scouting director and his staff. And also on top of that, the Potters traded every veteran they could for more prospects. And while not all of those trades worked out, a couple of very key ones did. And that's a credit to scouting director, Pete DeYoung and his staff. So yes, they built this really, really incredibly deep farm system. In, again, intentionally, I keep going back to, if you pick in the top 10, five years in a row and set records internationally and trade away every veteran you can, you should have a really good farm system, but a lot of teams do that and don't. So you do give the Padres credit for executing it and scouting well. And then from that, yeah, I mean, this is the formula. You amass an incredible amount of prospect depth. Mm -hmm. The best guys graduate to the majors and become cornerstones of your team and you trade the rest for veterans to put you over the top. The Padres this isn't a groundbreaking formula. This is the formula and they're executing it well. And yes. now it's just about going out and winning games on the field. But on the whole, you look at what the product looks like right now. It's impressive. And a tremendous amount of credit goes to, again, I mentioned all the scouting staffs. I think on the whole, they have put together a really good team and give credit where credit is due. I think one thing that I, 
think AJ Preller deserves credit for is he was willing to change. So you'll remember the Padres just frankly were not doing particularly well with a lot of their trades in terms of acquiring guys, double AA, A, triple A, and above. They were really good at identifying guys in trades, class A and below, Tatis, Paddock, et cetera. But we all remember the Brian Mitchells of the world. There, there were a lot of guys acquired, a lot of decisions made with the major league roster, you know, releasing Dan Straley, but keeping a bunch of rule five guys that were just poor decisions. And mm-hmm. Preller and Pete DeYoung, they brought in some new pro scouting department types around 2018. They brought in some new scouts. They brought in Dave Cameron from Fangraphs and really built up a new R&D department. And a lot of the successful moves the Padres made after the 2019 season, bringing in Jake Cronenworth and Tommy Pham, the Trent Grisham trade. I mean, those are trades the Padres weren't winning before. They really were not doing a great job when it came time to acquiring major league ready guys. And now they are, and that makes a huge difference. So I think you give credit to the organization for rather than being stubborn, they realized, okay, clearly something's off in some of our evaluations. Let's bring in new guys, get some new eyes on this new perspectives. And they got better at it. And that's a huge part of the Potters being the place they are today. They owned up to, we have a weakness in our organization Let's fix it as opposed to stubbornly saying, well, we believe in our guys. Well, if it's not working, clearly something needs to change. And they changed it. And now it's a mix. Some of the old guys who were there meshing with some of the new guys that combined to bring them some of these, you know, especially the Cronenworth fam trade. So again, I think it's been a nice mix and they found the right blend. And I think everyone involved in the front office give them credit and give the players credit and give the new coaching staff credit. You don't build a team like this off of just one thing. Everything has to be working in concert and the Padres for, I think the first time in many, many years, everything's firing smoothly. Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head as far as Preller adjusting and amending his, his ideas and, and, and just getting better and, and not being stubborn. And, and that's what is the product that we see now is, he's not selfish. He's not going out and, and thinking, you know, this is the way and that's it. He's open-minded and that goes a long way in this game. It's, it's not, it's, you know, you got to listen to other people. You just, you can't see everything. Sometimes uh, another set of eyes will, will educate you on stuff. So you got to commend him on, on that for sure. Um, before we move on and, and gush about the major league team, uh, the last question I have for you about the prospects, is there, is there anybody that you're high on that's not necessarily on the five to 10 lists uh, for, for the Padres, uh, you know, top 10, is there any prospects that you have your eye on that maybe the average fan hasn't heard of? Yeah. So there's still some interesting depth guys in this system that they just haven't had an opportunity in some cases to play a professional game yet or play above the rookie levels. Start with Joshua Mears, the outfielder who was a second round pick a few years ago. Again, he's just physically a monster. We started to see him make an adjustment during the latter time, at uh, latter half of his time in the rookie level Arizona League, he's someone to keep an eye on if that continues moving forward. Then a couple of young pitchers, Jagger Haynes, the Padres' fifth round pick in the draft this year, a very young left-hander, a lot of positive reviews on him from instructional league, a lot of growth left. And with high school pitchers, you always kind of want to take the under and understand it might be five, six, seven years in some cases, but. He shows some promising things that I think he is certainly worth keeping an eye on. Brian Medina, an international signee. He was one of the top pitchers in Venezuela. He came out instructionally this year, 18 years old, 92, 94, good spin characteristics on his breaking stuff, good athlete, a lot of raw ingredients you like. So those are three guys in particular I'd say keep an eye on. Medina, Haynes, and Joshua Mears. There are other young guys too. Justin Langs, another hard-throwing young pitching prospect in the system. Brandon Valenzuela is a young catcher that a lot of people like defensively. So there are other guys, but I think those are the three I'm sort of keeping my eye on the most in terms of guys who are still left in the system among the depth guys. Talking more about the major league team, saw a couple of breakout performers for the Potters in 2020. You already mentioned Trent Grisham. Jake Cronenworth and Jerickson Profar. From what you've seen from those guys, do you think we can expect performances like the 2020 season going forward to help keep the Padres in a good position to win? 
So that's the million dollar question, right? We're talking about a 60 game season and we see it all the time. Guys who look really good in April and May, and then they tail off in June, the league adjusts to them and they don't adjust back. Or the flip side, we see it all the time. Guys who are rookies or young players come up, they really struggle in April and May, and then they make an adjustment in June and they look great. I mean, that's the equivalent of what we're talking about here, 60 games at two months. So it's hard to state anything definitively. I think that in the case of Cronenworth, just seeing how hard he was hitting the baseball and the ability to move around the diamond like he did is a lot of reason for optimism. That said, he basically disappeared offensively the second month of the season. I believe he had 183. So some of it, there were some luck things, but yeah, he hit 183, 275, 268 in September. Mm. Is he the well above average everyday second base when we saw him the first month? Is he the replacement level player we saw in the second month? The truth is he's probably somewhere in between. He's always, I should say always, he's been seen as a good, solid, big league type for a while. Prior to this season, he was seen more in the bottom of the order start some days but maybe more utility man bucket i think he showed himself to be more than that when you just saw how consistently hard he was hitting the baseball that was a relatively new development so maybe he is that firm everyday second baseman but we have to see i think in either case he's a good big leader who can help your team as for exactly what he is the jury's still out a little bit trent grisham the consistent progress he's made since the start of the 2019 season when he was in the minor leagues, I think gives you a lot of reason to be optimistic that he can maintain at the very least good on base percentages, decent power and good center field defense. Everything's gotten better. I mean, I go back to the guy I saw in the Carolina league in 2017 was not a good defensive center fielder at all. His swing was one of the worst swings I've seen from a guy who's supposed to be a prospect. The pitch recognition skills were there. He stole bases efficiently, but it just wasn't there. And that was the case even into 2018. But again, we talk about guys changing and adjusting and not being stubborn and being open to change and improving. And he did that in 2019. So I think the fact that he's been the guy that's been trending up for two straight years now, and there's a just a, a larger sample on him you feel pretty good that at the very least you're getting a, a solid center fielder who again gets on base, has some pop. He won a gold glove last year. We'll see how he continues to develop defensively. Again, a lot of the, you know, the gold gloves, a lot of that was awarded off analytics and a small sample. So um, I wouldn't go too crazy about it, but he still did some good things for the Padres out there. So at the very least with Grisham and Cronenworth, I think you can confidently say, yeah, these guys will be positive contributors to the team. Whether they reach the heights they did last year, I think is still TBD because, again, we're just talking about really two months of the season. And for both these guys, uh, a little less. Grisham didn't quite play the full 60, uh, and Cronenworth especially did not play the full 60. So we'll see. Uh, Jerkson Profar, I think, again, is is what he showed himself to be last year. Really good bat control. Really, really nice contributor to have at the bottom of the order. Can play left field really should not be at second base. But I think he kind of is what he is. And what we saw last year is the top end version of him. He's really struggled in years past. A lot of that's been health related, but there's a chance. So again, it's a long way of saying, I think all three of these guys are good players. Are they going to be what they looked like at their peaks last season for a full six month season? Call me a pessimist. I'd say probably not, but that doesn't mean they can't still be good, solid players for the Padres. What did you make of the Profar signing? Uh, it was an interesting contract, uh, three years, $21 million with some options in there. Uh, he provides a lot of flexibility for the team, which they obviously needed. It was nice to get another left-handed bat in, in the lineup if they needed. Uh, what, what did you make of the, of the signing? Yeah, well, the reason I liked it was because you know he can play left field. And with Tommy Pham's health issues, we just don't know what that's going to look like. So while we're talking about Maybe Jake Cronenworth can bounce out to left. Maybe Hassan Kim can bounce out to left. Neither of them have done it. And Lord knows we've seen what happens when the Potters put guys in positions <laughs> they're inexperienced playing. And it's predictably been a disaster over and over and over again. Last year was the first year where they 
really didn't do that. Yeah, we didn't see that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not a surprise that, hey, if you put guys in positions they actually can play, you're going to yeah, get right. better team defense. Shocking. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think for, for the Padres, you just feel a lot better about, okay, if Tommy Pham gets hurt, we're not risking throwing one or two guys out there who at most are going to have a month of spring training to try and play a major league caliber outfield. And you also aren't looking at a guy like a Brian O'Grady, who, you know, is a nice 26th guy on your roster, but you really don't want him out there every day for you. Whereas Profar, what he did for this team last year, particularly after his slow start, you feel better about that. So the left-handed bat, the outfield experience, I like the signing. I thought it was a smart signing, and I think the Padres are a better team for the signing. You, you know, you mentioned O'Grady briefly. Uh, you know, I wasn't quite versed on on, on what he's capable of. Uh, can you give us a little more information on on, on Brian O'Grady and whether or not he's, uh, you know, he's listed as a center fielder. Is he going to be able to play center field uh, and spell Grissom if needed? Potentially, again, I think you're looking at a guy who you move him around a little bit. Um, he's played a good amount of center. He can play left. He's actually played some first base too. He played more first base with Louisville in uh, 2019 than he did center field. So, yeah, again, I think it's, again, just a, a left-handed option. He was hit for average in his minor league career. Well, I shouldn't say his minor league career. He hit for average in 2019 at Louisville. He's gotten on base throughout his minor league career. And he's shown some power too. I mean, he's got a career slugging percentage over 450 in the minors, uh, 28 homers at Louisville. And some of that's the AAA baseball. But even the year before that, he was in double digits. He'd shown you the ability to drive the ball before. So yeah, again, he's, he's a nice player to have as the 26th guy on your roster. And if there's left-handed power and the ability to get on base and some defensive versatility, whether that's center field, left field, first base. Yeah. It's certainly a nice player to have. And I get the acquisition. And the way I would always construct my MLB, the show teams would be one left-handed hitting uh, outfielder, one right-handed hitting outfielder, uh, a utility guy, and then feeling a backup catcher. And I think Grady certainly fits. Oh, Grady certainly fits that left-handed hitting outfielder, obviously different stuff, but I think that he certainly fits that build. Uh, I have a question for you that doesn't pertain to the Padres, but it pertains to the NL West. This week, the Nolan Arenado trade went down, and by no means was the return good. But there is still a chance that these prospects could make it up to the major leagues for the Rockies, and the Padres will, of course, face them. So the return, Austin Gomber, left-handed pitcher, Mateo Gill, shortstop, Tony Losey, right-handed pitcher, third baseman, El Juris Montero, and right-handed pitcher Jake Somers. What can you tell us about those guys? Austin Gomber is a perfectly capable left-handed swingman, valuable guy to have on your staff. And yeah, someone the Padres are going to face. We'll see if the Rockies try and make him their fifth starter or leave him more of that swingman role. Elfuris Montero is the best prospect in this deal. Okay. He's a potentially offensively impactful third baseman. He struggled with injuries in 2019. He was rushed to double A. He wasn't ready for it. But the year before, when he was healthy and at an appropriate level, he was MVP of the Midwest League, the low class A Midwest League. So he can hit. He's got some bat speed. He's got some strength where you can project power. So there's a chance that two, three, four years down the road, we see El Harris Montero in the Rockies everyday lineup. And, you know, he's somewhat dangerous and a guy that you have to pay attention to. Now that's. If everything goes right, if he comes back and struggles with injuries again and shows he just can't hit upper-level pitching, then it's not going to be an issue. But those are the two guys, if you're a Padres fan, I, and you say, okay, who are the guys that are going to be in Colorado that maybe I want to pay attention to? Those are the guys. Gomber will be there this year. He'll be on that staff. And Montero could be their starting third baseman two, three years in, two, three years from now. He in the past has been a liability liability defensively at third base. Again, we don't know if he got into better shape. Not that he was in bad shape, but he's just a big guy. So we don't know if he got trimmer during the 2020 season and if he took 
ground balls every day at the alternate site and got better. Maybe he's improved defensively. We just don't know. But the last look in 2019 was, it's a stretch to say this guy is going to be a major league third baseman, probably ends up at first base. Again, just a bigger guy who doesn't move that great. So that's what we're looking at. The other guys... It's possible Tony Losi ends up being a sixth, seventh inning reliever and the Padres see him in a couple of years. It's possible Mateo Gill ends up being a utility infielder and the Padres end up seeing him in three or four years. Jake Summers, the fifth piece in that deal, no one expects him to be a major leaguer. He's an organizational arm type. If he does make it, again, it's up and down reliever who maybe again the Padres will face in three or four years. But None of these guys or anyone the Padres and their fans should fear like you did Nolan Arenado. If you were facing the Rockies and Nolan Arenado stepped to the plate, you knew that if you had a two-run lead and there were a couple guys on, that that lead could disappear very, very quickly. And you did not want to, if you hit the ball anywhere near the third base, you know, third base, right, left, it didn't matter. It was probably going to be an out. There's no one like that in this deal. So the Padres and the rest of the NLS, they should be breathing a sigh of relief that they no longer have to face Nolan Arenado 18 times a year. Yeah. You know, Rocky fans have have every right to be angry. And, you know, I feel for them because, you know, the three of us uh, have rooted for this team for a long time. We've seen times like this in San Diego and it's it's really a tough pill to swallow for for a baseball fan that's for sure um, again there there are times where it makes sense for a team to reload a little bit make a rebuilding trade as much as it's difficult to ever trade away a star of the caliber of a Nolan Arenado but even and I, I have an article about this up at baseballamerica.com right now you can check it out and read it even when the prospect cost is considered fair, when you look back at it, very, very, very rarely does the team who acquired the veteran ever regret the prospects they gave away. Josh Donaldson, Miguel Cabrera, Christian Yelich, most recently the Paul Goldschmidt trade is looking pretty good for the Cardinals. Mookie Betts last year for the Dodgers. No matter what heights Alex Verdugo and Jeter Downs might ascend to, I don't think the Dodgers are ever going to regret the Mookie Betts trade. So even when it's a quote unquote fair trade, really the team who acquired the elite position player comes out on top. And then you look at a trade like this where the Rockies didn't even get close to market value. It's hard to see a scenario where there's any reason the Rockies should feel optimistic about their future. They're a worse team in the present without Nolan Arenado and they're a worse team in the future too. Yeah. It's tough. You know, major league baseball is a landscape that constantly changes and we'll just have to hope for Rocky fans, better days. Cause you know, as, as a fan of major league baseball, I don't like to have any fans feel left out or, or deep privileged, if you will. And, and they're definitely, it's going to be a tough year for them uh, coming up. And quite frankly, for a couple of years, it's going to take, take a little bit to, to regroup after losing a player like that, a homegrown talent like that. So uh, thoughts and prayers are out to Rocky fans. That's for sure. Um, Kyle, let, let's transition into this Padre pitching staff, which is, AJ Pro has done a fantastic job constructing the starting staff. Who do you view as the San Diego Padres ace? At this point, it has to be you, Darvish. Obviously, Blake Snell, the stuff he possesses from the left side is wicked. But a big part of being an ace is consistently taking the ball every fifth day and taking your team into the sixth, seventh inning and consistently turning in good start after good start after good start. And that's something you Darvish is able to do. He, I mean, <laughs> he pitched 76 innings last year and only 12 starts the year before he was just under 180. A big part of being that ace is that consistency and the ability to take your team deep into games over and over and over again at an elite level. And you Darvish does that Blake Snell again, had a much shorter leash than he deserved in Tampa Bay. And we saw that in the playoffs, not only in the World Series, but in Game 6, the ALCS as well. But even with that, he can run up some high pitch counts. He's 
not particularly pitch efficient. There's definitely some times where you look up at the scoreboard and he hasn't allowed a run yet, but he's at 80 pitches through four innings. You're like, okay, come on. Like, let's speed this up a little bit. To me, that's what separates Darvish as this club's ace, his ability to take you deep into a ball game consistently and you know what you're going to get. Okay. Uh, Danielson Lament, end of last season, a little bit of elbow woes. There's question marks coming into this coming season. Have you heard anything uh, from your sources or anyone as far as his development uh, with his arm and whether or not he's going to be okay for next season? It's an open question at this point. This is another one of those situations where you can say, hey, everything's on schedule, but until he's back on the mound, ramping up, pitching in live games against live hitters, you just don't know. So again, the Padres are hopeful and everything so far based off what I've heard is on track, but okay. you know, on track is very different than, Oh yeah, he's, he's good to go throw 180 innings. I mean, we just, we just yeah. don't know. So, and we won't really have a great sense for that until we get into spring training and, and probably even the early part of the season. Yeah. Yeah. I got one more question for you. Joe Musgrove had a really good month in September last year of 2020 of course gets brought over to the San Diego Padres, hometown team. Do you think he can improve upon that 2020 season and become that pitcher that we saw get drafted in the first round, start the futures game in 2016? Or do you think he's going to hover more around the four ERA where he's been at for the majority of his career? I've long been a big Joe Musgrove fan. I think he's a good pitcher and I think there's more in there. He's going to be 28 years old, all of next season, right in his prime age. He's going to a competitive team with a really good defense in a ballpark that favors pitchers. And he's going to also be pitching some road games in parks that favor, favor pitchers. Look at Dodger stadium. You look at, I want to say AT&T, I guess it's Oracle park now. So I think that there is very, very, very realistically a chance that Joe Musgrove takes a jump beyond what he's been, which is already a very good starting pitcher, but becomes even better. As we've seen many ex pirates players, both pitchers and position players take once they leave Pittsburgh. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of hope that he's again, talk about changes, talk about amendments to yourself and to your game. And, you know, he changed his arm angle a little bit last season, had positive results. I'm sure the Padres are going to tinker a little bit with this stuff and and hopefully he's able to trend in in a positive way. I'm sure pitching at home is definitely going to be a big thing for him and just a feather in his cap, if you will. Kyle, do you think that the Padres need to sign Trevor Rosenthal? Uh, He's still out there. There's a lot of speculation on where the Padres are going to make their next move. Do you think that that's a necessity for this team? Whether it's Trevor Rosenthal or another established closer, I I think that would make the Padres a better bullpen. Now, is it something where if they don't have it, their bullpen is going to be a dumpster fire? No. Emilio Pagan has some closing experience. Drew Pomerantz has been dominant since he became a reliever during the 2019 season with the Brewers and obviously was excellent when healthy with the Potters last year. There's a lot of good depth guys. There's no question that there are a lot of talented arms in this bullpen, but there's something different about closing games in the ninth inning. I know the analytics people will tell you there isn't. There is. And anyone who's ever played the game will tell you that. I think that there's a lot to be said for having a guy who has that experience, who knows how to control the adrenaline, who has done it consistently over the course of his career. I think that making an addition like that would absolutely benefit the Padres, whether that's Trevor Rosenthal, if the dollars line up, whether that's someone else, although we've started to see some of the established experience closers come off the board, Brad Hand going to the Nationals, Alex Colome signing with the Twins. The options are dwindling a little bit. Kirby Yates, obviously, with the Blue Jays. So we'll see what they do, but I'll say this. Would the Potter's bullpen be better with Trevor Rosenthal in it than it is right now? The answer is yes. Yeah, that, that's it's true. We'll just have to wait and see. I'm sure Preller's uh, just doing his due diligence to, to make some upgrades, if you will. Uh, I have one more question before we let you out of here. Uh, San Diego Padres starting staff was in shambles last season uh, in the playoffs and towards the end of the year. Garrett Richards just signed a one-year, $10 million guaranteed contract. 
we didn't see Garrett Richards uh, even at all towards the end of the year and in in the playoffs in, in very important games for this team. Was there something going on between Garrett Richards and the Padres? Uh, I know they didn't they didn't have him stretched out towards the end of the year, but it just seemed odd that he wasn't even given an opportunity. We're talking about a decent major league pitcher here. I will say it surprised me, and I, I thought it was a mistake okay. that they did not put him back in the starting rotation, especially once Lamette and Clevenger got hurt. Yeah, yeah. He, for whatever his struggles were, and let's be clear, he was not dominant by no, any stretch no, no. as a starting pitcher, and his health is always a concern. Uh-huh. But he was a more effective starting pitcher than Chris Paddock was last year. Yeah. And if you were going to line up a playoff rotation, you felt a lot better with, you know, Davies, Richards, Paddock than Davies, Paddock bullpen game. So yeah. I did think that was, that was a, an error in judgment on the Padres part, but it's over, it's done. And they've acquired a lot of new good starting pitchers this year. And, Hopefully it shouldn't be a problem again. There's always concern. Anytime you acquire pitching, it's risky. And, you know, the Darvish had an elbow issue in 2018. Blake Snell did have some elbow surgery in 2019, but you go down the list of almost any pitcher in major league baseball. And at some point they've had something with their arm. Joe Musgrove missed some time last year, triceps inflammation, I believe. So there's always injury risk, but again, that's not unique to the Padres. Again, I think, any pitcher you look at, they've had something at some point with their elbow, their shoulder, something. So um, we just have to kind of see how these guys go out and hold up. That is something that a lot of teams, the Potters included, have talked about is you're going to be asking guys in a lot of cases to go from 50 innings, 60 innings, 70 innings to 150, 160, 170. And there's a lot of concern about that buildup and what it will mean for a lot of pitchers and their elbows and just their general health. So building up the rotation depth the Padres have has helped give them some cover for that. Now we just have to see again if these guys can go out and perform to the level that they've shown us in the past, given what that jump is going to look like. And no one really has any answers right now. It's a complete unknown, and teams are just trying to position themselves the best they can to account for all possibilities. The Padres, in my opinion, have done so successfully. Thank you, Cal, for your time. Your answers are always very insightful on both the Potters at the major league level and in the minor league level. Uh, forks up from me. Uh, we wish you and your family health in San Diego, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thanks for having me, guys. Always, so much, always a pleasure. All right, folks, welcome back. Uh, awesome interview with Mr. Kyle Glazier. This is episode number one thirty-five of the East Village Times podcast. It's fantastic to talk to Kyle and and get a sense that this Padre farm system is still very deep. Yeah. And obviously the depth of it has gone out. Not, I don't want to say there's no depth, but certainly to me, it's felt like the strength of the farm system was the depth. And that's saying a lot considering the talent that was at the top that is still there. And that's why the Padres were able to go out and get so many guys. And the, the whole thing about the Padres, you know, trash the farm to get good. It's not true. That's just opposing fans trying to make themselves feel better and that they just got to blank it out. I mean, these guys are experts. We've had consistently, we had Jonathan Mayo on two episodes ago, just had Kyle Glazer on both those guys do a lot of work on farm systems for their respective companies. And they both say the Padres still have a good farm system. So it's just reassuring. It's certainly an awesome thing. And it's awesome because I know that this team isn't just going to be a one and done situation. Now, it might not be as good as the team was last year in having the best winning percentage in San Diego Padres history. Surely hope it is, but I do know that it is in that spot and it's fantastic news to keep hearing us firsthand and uh, our listeners secondhand. Yeah, no, it, it, he spoke about the depth on this team, uh, bringing in a Kim, uh, a Profar, uh, Cronenworth, and, and and the flexibility that that adds to this team. Uh, that's an element that they didn't necessarily have uh, as often last season. It's going to be interesting to see how Jace Tingler utilizes uh, some of the new players. Um, fascinating stuff from Kim. He, he Kyle seemed to have the same 
trepidation we do as far as whether or not he's going to be able to handle the the fastball. He's obviously going to have to make some amendments to his swing. Uh, and we're talking about Kim here, uh, but it's interesting to see that or to hear from Kyle that he thinks that he can do it and, and that there is a lot of athleticism and stuff in, 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 uh, yeah, in Hassan Kim. Yeah. And it seems like what his thoughts and Jiho Yu's thoughts are pretty consistent without throughout baseball. There are some concerns, but there's a lot of optimism, which is the word that he used a lot throughout the podcast. So I'll, I'll relay that word. And that of course is optimistic for us Padre fans. I feel like I'm going back to it, but that, that seems what it is. And that's all we can have. And I don't think he's going to be a starter for the Padres right now. I certainly think that's going to be Cronenworth, but Hassan Kim's going to be a very important part of the Padres next couple of years. And hopefully the Padres winning. Yeah. It's the Preller's done a great job formulating this team and building it. It's it's, uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Uh, interesting stuff from Kyle at the end on Garrett Richards, which is something that you and I and other writers in, in our in our group feed have have wondered since the playoffs why he wasn't allowed to pitch. Uh, we didn't get an answer from Kyle, but he also echoed the sentiment that it seemed like a no brainer to have him out there. So. The mystery hasn't been solved. Garrett Richards signed a $10 million guarantee contract with the Boston Reds. Was it Red Sox he signed with? Yeah, it was. So, obviously, some team thought he still had value. I I don't know. Well, I guess that's one of those things that it's always – it's just going to go down with the, why was Mike D fired, right? Why was Garrett Richards not pitched in the playoffs? We'll never know. And I I was on the train that Paddock was better than him. And obviously, I mean, I feel the people know now that I am a Paddock guy, but I mean, Richard certainly should have started game three of that Dodger series. And he did pitch in game two against the Cardinals, a couple of innings. So I don't think he was going to start game three. It kind of felt like the Padres had to go to the bullpen route there. And I mean, the Padres were never going to beat the Dodgers in that five game series. You and I both said that, like, it's just not, it just wasn't realistic that the Dodgers were going to win the world series that year as unfortunate as that was for us to deal with. It just, you just, it just kind of felt like that, but Garrett Richards certainly. All I say is just the stupid Braves thing. Yeah. I mean, we were, we recorded during game five when they were winning. We're like, Oh, of the, we're like, you know, Hey, if the, if the Braves hold on, they're going to move on. Of course they didn't because it's Atlanta sports teams, but it it was unfortunate because that would have been awesome to see. Uh, I certainly wouldn't have like, had to act like a Rays fan for the World Series. Of course, uh, I enjoyed watching the Rays. Dominic, great show. Kyle's always an awesome guest. Great having him on. Frequent guest to us. And, and you know, he did the, the DTP uh, podcast with you and Bobby as well. ASU guy. Uh, awesome time. Um, go ahead and take us out of here, man. I think we're good to go on the on the episode. Now, I got one more question for you, James. Next time, next time we record, who will be NFL Super Bowl champions? No. Oh, uh, let me think about this. Who's playing again? Uh, Brady and Mahomes. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to take the Chiefs again as a back-to-back champions. I think that 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 offense. Patrick Mahomes is just. He's just a quarterback who plays above standards. Uh, you know, I'm not a huge huge. I still watch NFL, even though the the team that shall not be mentioned left. Uh, the Seawards the C world, the C word left. Uh, I, you know, I still, it took me a little bit the first couple of seasons. I, I really didn't watch much football this season. I really did watch a lot. And, and uh, I, Patrick Mahomes is just impressive. Just the way he conducts his offense and the way he motivates his team to play. And, and that goes a long way in the game of football when, when it's your, your single caller. Yeah. I, but, I, you know, you can't sell Brady short either. I mean, no. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I agree. I, I'm going to take the Chiefs as well. The Sunday, uh, obviously, that's not important to us. We care more about no. the Padres. It's almost baseball's time. Baseball yeah. games will be played this month, as of now, unless if all of a sudden the players decide to push back the start of spring training. I, I selfishly hope that doesn't happen. You better but, knock on some wood because I don't know about if they're going to make it in February or not. <laughs> right. I selfishly hope that they end up playing it on time. And of course, I want what's best for them, but. For me, I want to be at games this month. So hoping that's going to wrap up this episode of the East Village Times podcast. You said episode 135, right, James? Yes, sir. Yep. Episode 135. Our guest for this time was Kyle Glazer. You can find him on Twitter 
at Kyle A. Glazer does a lot of great work. I forgot to mention, go subscribe to Baseball America. They do a ton of great work. You know, they they do like the Potters Farm System a little bit more than MLB Pipeline did. So uh, we we love them for that. And Kyle does a lot of great work. You'll find him tweeting about some Padres games because he'll go to some time. He'll go to them sometimes, even though he is a national baseball writer. So that's always cool. Follow me at DMs turn 19. Follow James at EVT underscore Jay Clark. Follow our podcast account at EVT podcast and follow us East Village Times at. Uh, what is it? Oh, EVT underscore news. How, <laughs> how can I forget every time I say that every time? And I forgot that one time. Anyways, that way you can uh, find out anytime we release a new article for East Village Times. On behalf of James Clark, thank you for tuning in to episode 135 of the East Village Times podcast. We will catch you guys next time.